What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Thanks, Sarah. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to the office, uh, whole audience. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Frank Holland in for the Judge Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, it's the final trading day of 2023 as we get close to closing the books on a very big year for stocks. The Investment Committee debates what's next for the markets in the year ahead and where you can find opportunity. Joining me for the hour, Josh Brown, Rob Seachin, Jenny Harrington, and Jason Snipe. But first, let's check the markets right now. In the red across the board right now, we're seeing the Dow down more than 100 points. The S&P down just about a half a percent. The Nasdaq, the hardest hit, down almost three quarters of one percent. Earlier today, we were on record close watch. That would be 4796. We'll have to wait and see if there's a late day rally to get us there. But that's really, really where we begin, Jenny. You're right here to my left. Let me ask you, what are you seeing in the markets today? Does it make you think we're getting away from a sailing cost rally? Or in the beginning of next week, do you see the markets reaccelerate? I think as we go in, well, as we talked about on Worldwide Exchange a couple weeks ago, right? You said, what's the word of the day? I said directionless. And, and I was really committed to that, that, that this is a directionless market that we're in because there's too many cross currents. So with respect to today, I don't make anything of today. Like, who knows? It could be because people aren't here. It could be because of lack of volume. It could be because of, like, last hurrah of tax loss selling. What I think is interesting in my portfolio right now is the biggest losers today are the ones where clearly it's tax loss harvesting with a last, you know, last-ditch effort to get some uh, losses locked in and offset gains. So I don't really make anything of today. But when we think about next week, I mean, there's been a lot of froth and a lot of enthusiasm over the last month. It's been insane. And so if anything, as we go into next week, next year, I wouldn't expect, I would expect rather the market to take a pause, catch its breath, relax. Like that may show up in the form of, I don't know, a one to 3% retracement. Who knows? But it feels very exhausting to me. When I take off my macro economist, you know, front and actually look at what I do, a portfolio manager, when I look at my portfolio, you know what I want to do next week? There's three stocks I want to sell. I want to get rid of three stocks that have huge capital gains. I don't want to realize those this year. And I'm going to sit on cash because there's nothing I actively want to buy next week. So if that's translating around, it kind of equates to a pause. It doesn't equate to a big sell-off. But if I'm typical of what's out there, who knows, you know, who knows on next week, but it doesn't look too glorious. <laughs> All right, to your left, Jason, it's been a while, Jason. I haven't seen you in a while. Uh, a lot of things we want to talk to you about. Give us your sense of the action we're seeing today. And does it, does it give us some foreshadowing for 2024 is today just today? So I think, I think uh, Jenny hi- highlighted a few points that I think are important. I think one is um, it's a little bit of a breather, right? The market has done phenomenal since November. You know, so it's, it's really been running. So I think, I think that might be part of it. I think volume, potentially low volumes is absolutely a, a point here. But I also think about um, as, I, as I turn to next month, 
and think about what, what, what is the overhang or what's the overlay and what, what to kind of pay attention to. One is, you know, when I think about taxes and I think about some of the names that have been tremendous winners, why would you sell them today and have to deal with the taxes four months from now? Why not sell them in January potentially and look at it 16 months from now, which I think is, is a lot that's probably playing out in the market. Um, but I also look at just broadly, I mean, the Fed is out of the game. It's no longer, um, you know, higher for longer. It's now talking about cuts in market is baking in six cuts. I don't think that will, that's likely. I think we'll prim- probably look at around three cuts next year. Um, you know, rates are moderating, inflation is moderating. So there, there's a lot of bullish tailwinds for the market. And I think oftentimes this, this game is, is not as easy as it looks. You know, so it's potentially some some other things that we're not thinking about that might serve as headwinds going forward. So, but broadly speaking, I'm still constructive on the market. And I think there's going to be opportunity. It's constructive, but it sounds like you're saying we're not quite out of the woods yet. There are some some issues that could come up. We do have a Fed meeting come up in January as well. So I think that the main thing that I'm thinking about is is all of the you know the cash that's that's in the market, right? So a lot of surplus of, of fiscal spending that that we've seen over this year. Also going into next year, that could potentially be inflationary. That might potentially put the Fed back into the game. And that, that is concerning for me as we go forward. Um, you know, so we'll see. And also the lag effect of, the, of, of all the policy that's already been put in place. How will that impact the market next year? Will it play a role? So, Rob, are you concerned about some of these possible issues that could come up next year? And I also want to get your take on the action we're seeing today. Yeah, I would tell you that equity markets certainly appear overbought right here. When you look at the RSI indicators, they show that the S&P, NASDAQ, Russell 2000 are the most overbought since 2020. And the stretch has has lasted longer than it did in 2020. And so from an equity perspective, when you look at 2023, it was an upside surprise to nearly everybody, not because of better earnings, but because of higher multiples. And these higher multiples came from increased liquidity. The NASDAQ expanded its multiple by 40%. You have to ask the question, can this happen again? And the answer that we have is probably not, and that earnings need to play a bigger role. We have seen a big upside surprise in GDP growth, and it's not translated into big upside in earnings growth. And the market can perform well next year, but it's completely dependent on earnings. And the opportunities that we're seeing are really below the surface and outside of some of these names that have driven the market this year. So when you think about going into uh, uh, 24, I really believe that the guys are right. We're going to focus on portfolio sizing, positioning, and names that we own that are still great businesses, but maybe have pulled forward some of that price performance. And we're going to look to the left behinds to play a larger role. And so the opportunity set is meaningfully bigger. And we think fundamentals are going to play a very big role in that. So Josh, over to you. One other thing I want want to mention is that we've seen bond yields on the long end tick up just a bit. Actually, the 30-year top 4% very briefly earlier today. Um, How are you seeing the market action? Uh, Concerned at all about bond yields? Well, I think you want to see longer-term bond yields pick up, quite frankly. You want to see the curve on invert. If the reason the market is rallying is because people are getting more comfortable with the idea of next year being an expansion, not a recession, that's exactly what longer-term bond yields should be doing. This is 101 stuff. I don't think anyone should uh, really be particularly concerned with that. I think the big picture here is 
there were plenty of good reasons to be underweight or lukewarm toward equities or uh, concerned about things going wrong in the first half. But once earnings expectations bottomed and started to tick higher, and once we got confirmation that inflation was trending in the right direction, that was it. Like that, that was really the signal that the, the main things that you had to be most concerned with in the equity market were fixing themselves. And that's exactly how things played out. And none of that changes just because the calendar flips over from December 31st into January 1st. The difference between managing money in real life versus writing a newsletter, if you're allocating people's capital, then you know if it's based on a long-term financial plan, you can't afford to miss years like this one. And you definitely can't play this game like, oh, maybe we'll avoid a 1% pullback in January. You can't do that. Because what if that 1% to 3% pullback doesn't come? Then, then what, are you, you know, what are you doing at okay. that point? Like you have the responsibility of, of people's money. So uh, if you're running a virtual hedge fund or some sort of a model where nothing's really at stake, you're not registered, you don't answer to anyone, it's a different game. If you actually answer to people, you have to tell the truth about the likelihood of drawdowns, that they will not necessarily always be rewarded every time you go into January 1st to start a new year long. You have to explain that okay. potential risk, and then you have to grit your teeth and bear it. And I think that that's what the people on our show do. So 1% one, 1 pullback, sure, whatever. I'll, I'll, I'll eat it for breakfast. You know, Josh, you're not the only person talking about possible draw, uh, drawbacks. Tom Lee out with a note today saying in part to him, it's only a matter of days before we make new all-time highs. Uh, probably not going to happen today, but then he goes on to say, but then we likely consolidate. We could see the S&P 500 hit 4,400 to 4,500 once we make all-time highs or a modest pullback. So again, a lot of people talking about pullbacks. Ed Yardeni also in that camp. Jason, are you seeing it playing out the same way? We hit those highs potentially in the next couple of days, and then we have that pullback? Um, I think it's possible. Clearly, it, it, it's possible. I, I don't think that happens. I think January is going to be extremely interesting, like I said, on some of the, some of the tax selling from some of the winners um, you know, that, that will play out in January. I, I think, though, um, you know, listen, we, we, we're, the S&P is up 25% this year. You know, and, and when we've seen a, a year like this where the S&P is up north of 20 percent, you know, almost 70 percent of the time we're going to see a double digit return year in the following year. So I do see a, a, a large amount of follow through going forward. And again, I think the, the market is is um, positioned for that type of production. All right. So I also want to throw in uh, Ed Yardini. I want to make sure I'm not just uh, misrepresenting what he said. He said melt ups can go on for a while until like Icarus, obviously mythology. They get too close to the sun. Uh, in that case, you know, the wings melt off his feet when he gets too close to the sun. Mm -hmm. Are you seeing a similar situation possibly playing out here? You know, Mike Santoli said something really interesting this morning earlier, which was when you take NVIDIA out, right, just NVIDIA. We've all been focusing on the MAG7. When you take NVIDIA out, market's up like 16% or something. In the market, we're up 16%. We wouldn't talk about touching the sun. We'd be like, oh, that's nice. Market was down 18% last year, up 16% this year. So when you shift the perspective a little bit, I don't think you're touching the sun. And one of the things that, that I think is super important 
going into 2024 is to stop talking about the market and the S&P. And this goes into the small cap conversation, what Rob was saying before, like let's focus on what's been left behind. I've been calling them non-participants. So I think when we think about next year, like let's try to redirect the conversation a little bit away from just the S&P and think more broadly. Because I think what the winning play is going to be next year is breadth, breadth, breadth. I don't, I don't know if you want to play the dividend stocks or the value stocks or international or small cap. Take your pick. None of those areas okay. are kissing the sun. Well, let's continue to talk about the rally. And honestly, we're going to continue to talk about the S&P. The rally's next big test will be fourth quarter earnings, which will come out in just a few weeks. Siege, coming over to you. What's at stake here when these, when these earnings come out? Incredibly important, as I said earlier, it's all it's all about earnings, right? Last year was uh, this year was all about multiple expansion. Next year is going to be all about earnings, so we're going to be watching that very closely. I think one of the keys that we have to watch is price performance after a release, right? If you get a great earnings release and prices then trade down, what that indicates is that a lot of this good news was already priced into markets. If you get the opposite, it may mean that there's more room to run. There's fundamental support in these markets. And so I think that's an important narrative. I also think the guidance on the economy is an important narrative in earnings, right? Do you see these businesses guiding towards a recessionary environment or guiding towards what we think, which is we're going to avoid recession and can earnings for this year do what they didn't do in 23 or this coming year, do what they didn't do in 23, which is deliver when the economy delivers. Because we think there's going to be an upside surprise to the economy. Can earnings keep pace? In 23, they didn't really didn't matter for stock prices, but still, can they keep pace? It matters this year. You know, Josh, that is an important question. Just to Seach's point, uh, Q4 earnings estimate 5.2%, but so far we're seeing 75 negative EPS pre-announcements, only 35 positive EPS pre-announcements. Uh, give us a sense, in your mind, how important is this earnings season? So here's the problem with counting up all those pre-announcements. We're not qualifying where they're coming from. What size are the companies that are issuing them, and how important are those companies to the index itself? And when we do that, the picture is not quite so dire. The businesses that we need to put up good earnings are doing really, really well right now, by and large. Of course, there are always exceptions. Of course, there are always one-offs. Uh, I know there was concern over what Nike had to say. What does that mean for the consumer, et cetera, et cetera. Bigger picture, uh, I think we're in a situation where earnings growth probably for the cycle has bottomed, absent something exogenous or a recession. There's no reason to think that all of a sudden the earnings gains that we began to see in Q3 are just going to like reverse because people feel like they deserve to. Uh, it's just not the way these types of things play out. So I think we're fine. It's not the strongest earnings growth ever. Um, but I think in the end, there are going to be opportunities in a lot of sectors, especially laggard sectors from this year. Real estate is a good example. Um, healthcare, we've talked about on the show a bunch. Uh, even energy. Uh, you know, recent recent trends could reverse there. So uh, it may not be your your favorite names that get us through 2024, but there are definitely some places to go where earnings should be positive and not really susceptible uh, to to whatever you think is about to happen in the economy. 
you know, Josh, you mentioned something interesting, the earnings from Nike, also the earnings from FedEx, two bellwether stocks. Jason, when you see those kind of results from two big companies like that with so much global exposure, does that make you at least a little bit concerned going forward? Absolutely. I mean, you know, uh, FedEx, FedEx, again, up 45% year to date. It's had a tremendous year, but it was a miss on revenue. The guidance was light. And I think their focus for, for these companies and, and earnings going forward is, is what is the guide? How, how does business look going forward? So that is definitely concerning. These are more cyclical areas of the economy. Transports did very well this year. Um, Nike is not one I follow, but in the retail sector. So it's important. It's important for the consumer and discretionary. Um, but as, as you mentioned, earnings expectation at 5.2% uh, this quarter. In September, the expectation was 8%. So they have been revised lower. So it's a lower bar to jump over. So I think what is really important in this season is no blowups. I think we need to see steady beats um, and, and what we've been accustomed to see over the last few quarters. You know, let's lean into earnings season a bit. Banks will be the first to report. Money centers and regionals. Jenny owns Schwab and some smaller banks, including uh, actually, so you want to some other smaller banks. In your mind, when it comes to earnings for the financials, what's key? Okay, so what's going to be so key next week is hearing about charge-offs, delinquencies. I don't think the bank's actual earnings matter that much. It's what they say about the broader macroeconomic trends. So I'm getting excited about it. One, one thing I want to say. If Rob, Rob, if you were actually here, I would have thought you stole and read my notes. <laughs> because when Rob's saying it's all about earnings, it's all about earnings, I think that is so spot on. And so I'm really excited about the banks because they are going to give us the best insight into earnings. I think you know nothing else matters for the next four weeks. And, uh, and to your point, Jason, no blowups. I think it's a little more than no blowups also, also from the banks. What we heard was, well, revenues were light, but there were levers that were pulled. There were levers. I'm sick of the levers. Like, I don't want to hear levers were pulled to get us to good earnings. I want to hear delinquencies weren't as bad. Consumers spent more. So the banks will be incredibly insightful next week. All right. So, by the way, your holdings include New York Community Bank Corp, also Columbia Banking, Charles Schwab. Right. I was asking you what's key, not that you owned key. Oh, See, sorry. I, I, no, <laughs> you, you answer correctly. But you know what's funny about that? You know what is on my short list of stocks I've been researching? Key. Key? <laughs> yeah, key. It's a big <laughs> underperformer. One of the things I've been toying with is like, do I get out of Columbia Bank shares next year? Do I get into key? I'm not there yet. Um, Columbia is a really, really clean story. But on, both, on all three of the financials right. that we own, there's nothing from those ones that's going to be as insightful as the big banks. So Columbia is like Pacific Northwest, a lot of mortgages. Mm. New York Community Bank, we know there's synergies coming from their acquisition of Signature. Um, and Schwab is okay. all about the cash sorting slowing down. Well, by the way, key yeah. reports on January 18th, I believe, so you get a chance to see the results there. Seach, <laughs> uh, I want to come over to you. You have a lot of financials ownership, including J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo, Comerica. What are you looking at right now? I know net interest margin is something a lot of people are, are looking at very closely when it comes to these banks. Especially for the larger banks, because they have such an advantage there, right? They have to pay very little for deposits. We're also going to be looking at the quality of their loan portfolios, how much commercial real estate exposure is impacting them, what are their capital levels looking like. Have uh, you know, With the bank term funding program ending possibly in March, what could that mean for some of these these businesses? And and I think the, one of the most important things is an economic indicator, and that indicator is what is happening in capital markets activity, or what is uh, prospectively happening from a capital markets activity standpoint. IPOs picking up, mergers picking up, uh, fundings uh, uh, picking up. And so as we restart the economic engine, 
what are the banks that are be the best beneficiaries of those? These are huge economic indicators. And uh, m my suspicion is they're going to be getting marginally more positive. Josh, over to you. You own JP Morgan. What's your outlook for this earnings season when it comes to financials? I think I'm in the highest quality financial uh, in the country, if not the world. I have no interest in looking at any of the others. I am not structurally bullish on banks per se. Um, I do think this will be another challenging year. Yes, there's more money to be made when rates on balance are higher. But there's also, in my opinion, an increased likelihood at, of uh, some defaults on the lower end and some households struggling with higher borrowing rates. And I just don't see uh, any room to add more exposure to banks in general. There are some other insurance names that look much better. I think, the, uh, I think uh, insurance is probably better than banking right now. And if we get the IPO calendar back, I might take a look at Goldman and, and Morgan Stanley. Um, but outside of that, it's just not an area of focus for me. Yeah, the IP markets, a lot of people have their eyes on that for next year. Also want to turn to tech right now. Tech's really dominated in 2023. But can the group pull a repeat performance of next year? Jason, in your mind, do we see another strong year of tech and the AI enthusiasm carry over to 24? And I, I, first of all, I, I think so. I, I, think we, I think we do see uh, significant growth going into next year. I don't think it will be the outsized growth that we experienced this year. And I've said this before in the show. I think... This, this year has been about the AI theme and, and how that played out for a lot of the Magnificent Seven. Next year will be about the integration of artificial intelligence and long, right. large language models and how does that impact certain businesses. So I think um, these companies are extremely profitable. Their earnings have been really strong. So I continue to see the follow through because I think it's about integration going forward. All right, so you're, you're bullish on tech. I do want to go to our Delivering Alpha investor survey. I want to ask everybody about this. Uh, we asked our, uh, our you know, analysts, investors, other people, which of the Magnificent Seven stocks will post the best returns in 2024. Top answer was Microsoft. Obviously, a lot of enthusiasm when it comes to AI. Amazon at 24%, NVIDIA at 12%. Jenny, do you agree? Microsoft. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like the that was worst such a quick person. laugh. Yeah, I'm the worst person to ask on this. You know, I disagree. But the thing is, of the list, I don't know who I would agree on. I really believe that the AI benefits are not going to be absolutely manifested by the Mag 7. I think there's, you know, hundreds of other companies that probably not, many aren't even in technology. There are like all sorts of different healthcare companies and biotech startups and, you know, people reading mammograms. Like that, those are going to be the biggest beneficiaries of AI. Probably not the Mag 7. There was an interesting, I can't remember who said it, but there was an interesting analogy given that said, you know, it wasn't the companies who created refrigeration who benefited the most from refrigeration. It was the General Mills and the Cokes and, you know, mm. the food products companies. I think that's how AI is going to play out. So I love the list, but I don't know. I'm the worst to ask not, on the MAG-7 this year. Not <laughs> sure. So, Seach, I'm going to come over to you. Microsoft is your largest position overall. Agree with our survey that Microsoft is going to do the best out of the MAG-7? Um, probably not prospectively. You have to acknowledge the performance because these companies have produced incredible earnings growth. You know, you have to scratch your head as it relates to Apple, though, um, on how you could see it re-rate by 45 percent and see no change to their EPS estimates. It's a testament to it being one of the high quality names out there. But from a Microsoft standpoint, it's our largest holding. I don't think it's going to be the best performer. Realize that, like Josh, like many on the show, we have tax paying clients, we're long-term investors, so we, we expect a period where maybe the performance lags a little bit, even though they continue to execute 
execute in all areas and they're a tremendous AI beneficiary. I think we would say our preferred way to gain exposure is something that received a zero on, on the it's up 80% since we added it in April. Highly diversified business, reasonable valuation at 24 times. NVIDIA is clearly a more exciting name this year, and it gets credit uh, for, for what it's done. But when you think about uh, what's happened since late August, NVIDIA is up about a percent and uh, Broadcom's up about 23%. So investors are starting to search outside of uh, some of the more obvious names, and we think they're going to continue and buy names like, uh, like uh, Broadcom. All right, there you go. Uh, Broadcom shares, though, down a half a percent right now. All right, coming up next here on Half, our call of the day is a downgrade for one of this year's big gainers. Josh and Jenny, they both own this one. Reaction and strategy coming up. Halftime back in two minutes. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. All right, welcome back to the Halftime Report. It's time for our call of the day. It's Uber downgraded to neutral at Nomura. The firm saying it is some limited upside after soaring 150% this year. Josh, you own this one. Yeah, I understand their point. This is one of the biggest winners of the year. Um, keep in mind, this is basically a stock that uh, at its lows, June of 2022, had a $40 billion market cap, and today it's $130 billion. So it's added about $90 billion in market cap in 19 months. So anytime a stock does that, obviously it makes sense to reevaluate and ask yourself, is there still the same amount of upside that there was back then? The answer might be no, not in the near term, but I'm a long-term investor here, and I'm willing to accept a period of consolidation. Uh, I want to remind people of a couple of things. First, first things first, the 200-day uh, moving average has been perfect support. Uber has bounced off that 200-day moving average three times in uh, 2023. Until something materially changes there, even from a trading perspective, uh, I, I really wouldn't give that much credence to uh, the bear case. Uber has spent five days out of 250 trading days this year under its 200-day. Those five days were the first five days 
coming out of uh, the bear market. So it's really been in an uptrend this entire time. It's still within a couple of percent of its all-time high. If the stock has to go through uh, a, a little bit of time where it doesn't really do much to the upside, I think for most people who have been long this name and have reaped this benefit, they would be okay with that. Yeah, I mean, I think analysts saying that. Limited room for upside. They downgraded the stock, but actually raised the price target to 62, basically where it's trading at right now. Jenny, you also own this one. Uh, concerned at all about the valuation, 4P yeah. basically of 80 times. But you know what, I think that's wrong. I'm not sure where the E on that for, on that estimate came from. Consensus is actually about $2 for 2025, so I look at it more like 30 times forward, but that's not the point. The point is this, and Josh brought it up, whenever, you know, whenever a stock's up that much, you sit back and you reevaluate. And you say, okay, what's the realistic upside from here? And so I think, you know, earnings could grow, right? They could actually get to 225, maybe even 250. But I think that translates to maybe upside from here of 8%, 10%. And then as a proper portfolio manager, you need to sit back and say, am I creating an opportunity cost that's negative for my clients by continuing to hold it? The problem is we all have huge capital gains. So first you need to assess, I'm going to get a you know 15 to 20% clocked off the top because of taxes on that gain, right? If you can do that, and say, and I'm leaving 8 to 10% on the table if I sell it now, is there still something better I can buy? I think the reality is, is going into next year and the first three months, I think that we're going to find something better to buy. It is a phenomenal story. It's a long-term story. We can always get back into it in two years, but if it's just going to consolidate and go sideways, there's things I can own that are actually going to go up in the next couple years. So right. I think we'll probably end up selling it next year. Oh, selling next year. Okay, interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, Uber shares down 2.5%, but still about 2% from an all-time high. Time now for headlines with Silvana Hanau. Silvana, happy new year. So you at 5 a.m. Now I'm seeing you at noon. All right, I'll say it right back to you. Happy new year, Frank. All right, let's get you some headlines. Tens of thousands of people continue to flood the Gaza town of Rafah at the southernmost point of the territory. And that's according to the UN Agency for Palestinian Refugees, which says 100,000 people have traveled there in recent days. This as the agency accused Israeli soldiers of firing on an aid convoy in Gaza. The Israeli military says it's looking into the report. Ohio Republican Governor Mike DeWine struck down a bill today that would have banned gender-affirming care for minors. The GOP has a supermajority in the state legislature, and it could override the veto. More than 20 states have enacted similar bans over the last two years. And check out this wild landing of an American Airlines flight at Heathrow in London. High winds and rain across the UK grounded flights and halted ferries. This LA to London flight was hit with a strong crosswind as it came in for a landing, but eventually landed safely with luckily no injuries reported, Frank. Whew. Yeah, I don't, I don't like rough landings. So no, 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 no. I like a nice smooth landing. But hopefully yes. they got some bonus points for the inconvenience, something to make up for that. Or, you so, know, a $5 voucher for <laughs> one of the food, for the food court. Our Silvano Hanau back at CNBC headquarters again. Happy New Year, Silvano. Happy New Year. All right, coming up next, our chart of the day, a big comeback for one name, making it this year's best performing tech stock. The name, the trade, and much more coming up on Halftime. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. 
Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. As you can see, the Dow down nearly 150 points. We're back here on halftime with our chart of the day. It's this year's best performing tech stock, and our Kate Rooney joins us now with the reveal. Hey, Kate. Hi, Frank. The big reveal, it's a firm. It's the best performing tech name this year, up more than 430% on the year. It's really a comeback story after losing about 90% of its value last year. And with rate cuts on the horizon, investors are now, now turning back to some of the riskier growth stories out there, including a firm. It's seen as a way also get in on the buy now, pay later trend, which has grown about 15 percent this year and then more than 40 percent on Black Friday alone. That's according to Adobe. It's among the most highly shorted names out there and short covering has sparked some of the biggest firm rallies this year. It's now also a favorite among retail investors. So roughly a quarter of its trading volume, at least in December, came from individual traders, according to Vanda Research. It is good news for a term's, uh, firm's top shareholders. Shopify, the e-commerce company, actually owns about 4 percent of the company. That stake now worth over half a billion dollars. And then CEO Max Levchin, his stake is worth $1.4 billion heading into the end of this year, $250 million a year ago. So a good return there for the CEO. Greg, back over to you. All right, Kate, thank you very much. Sticking with the payment area, Josh, you recently bought PayPal. It's down just about 14% this year. Yeah, I, I was a bear on PayPal all year until recently, and I think there is some potential here. I would not say it's a great story right now, but I do like the setup, um, and I just want to give people a quick idea why. PayPal has 428 million active users, 35 million merchants, and the annual flows of payments over its system is like $1.5 trillion. This is an enormous business. The bad news is, a lot of competition in the shopping cart. They now have to fight with Apple Pay, with Google Pay, with Shopify, uh, Shop Pay, and it's just become a more, e-commerce has become a more difficult business for them. That's why the stock is in an 80% drawdown. That's why the stock is trading at half the valuation of its peer group. A lot of those negatives are already in here. What might not be in here this is a, again, this is a market cap that's gone from $363 billion to only $66 billion. I want people to understand the severity of how bad this stock has been. It's a new CEO, Alex Chris. He was brought in from Intuit. He had been growing that company. He's done really great acquisitions as well. His, his strategy now is to shrink the cost base first so it doesn't slow down the company. And then he's got to find growth. He's got to find revenue. You're only paying 18 times earnings. The median, three-year median uh, PE is like 40. Uh, the five-year median is 50. So you have this thing at, a, at a, a drastically reduced valuation. And the bet is Alex will figure out something, something to do that's better than what they've been doing for the last two years. The Venmo franchise is really powerful. If Alex called me and asked my opinion, I would say change the name from PayPal to Venmo right away. 
uh, and we set the table. I don't think really? they're going to listen to me. But there is a lot of potential here. So I, I, I think there's a shot that this thing works. All right, Josh Brown calling for a rebrand on PayPal. Uh, right now, shares down almost 3%. All right, coming up next, Mike Santoli joins us with his midday word, halftime. We'll be right back. And we are back on halftime. Senior markets commentator Mike Santoli joins us with his midday word. Mike, I do have to note, every day you wore a tie, the markets rallied. Today, yeah. you come a little biz casual. and Listen, this is almost as good as a lot of the almanac stuff we put out there, what, <laughs> what tends to happen under various scenarios. Um, so, yeah, we'll have to have a control in this experiment. One day next year, I won't wear a tie. I'm not going to tell you when. We'll see what the market does. We'll have to see. <laughs> Um, no, but I mean, it, it, we obviously have a little bit of hesitation here and even jeopardizing perhaps the ninth straight up week for the S&P 500, which is an oddball, extreme uh, kind of persistent rally uh, that we've had here. I think the big questions going into next year is can we just sort of extrapolate what we've seen the last couple of months in this recovery rally, in the broadening of the market, in yields being really benign? I mean, I think there's a big question about what has specifically been driving the buying binge in treasuries. Has it just been this huge rebalancing move? People were short bonds, people were underinvested in bonds, and we've gotten there. Uh, and how low do we really want to see bond yields go? Because I think there's an argument to be made that uh, a, a lot lower on the 10-year, let's say way below 375, uh, and you're starting to ask what the bond market is really positioning for here, not just a benign Fed and lower inflation, but maybe the economy struggles. All right, so a bit of a pullback today. We're, we're in the middle of this Santa Claus rally. This yeah. is definitely a pullback. What do you think as we get trading next week? Remember, 47.96, that's, or 47.97, you yeah. told us. That's the magic number for the record. Close. Right, that, that seals it. It's, you know, 47.96 and change is the closing high. I mean, we're so close right now. Right. It doesn't kind of matter when we maybe touch it or get beyond it. Um, Santa Claus rally goes two years into the new year if you care about, you know, clocking that. I think that, you know, all of the market-based pattern stuff tells you what we've seen so far. You know, getting to a new high for the first time in a couple of years tends to be bullish on a forward-going basis. All these things that, you know, we can kind of lean on. Look, the market's up 70% of all calendar years. So I think the burden of proof on saying we're going down for sure is pretty high. Uh, but, uh, you know, we, we also are up 25% this year. Valuations aren't cheap. We're going to start to notice things that look imperfect in the economy again at, from these levels. Yeah, uh, NASDAQ 100 on pace for its best year since 1999. Important to note, though, you had a tie-on the whole time at rally. All right, coming up here on Habitat. Not at 99. <laughs> coming up, your 2024 energy playbook, the sector among the worst of this year's performers. The committee debates the setup for next year. Halftime back right after this. slightly off its lows of earlier this hour. We're back here on halftime. Energy having a down year, breaking a two-year winning streak of massive returns as oil prices decline more than 20% in the last three months. Let's bring in Pippa Stevens with the 2024 setup. Pippa. Hey, Frank. Well, energy dethroned as the top sector. The stock's fall follows a retreat in oil and gas prices as record production levels, including here in the U.S., and fears around soft demand weigh. Plus, there's been a lot of interest in other areas of the market, and after two years of outperformance, investors are simply pulling back on energy. 
Earnings in the latest quarter also down sharply year over year, although energy was up against some pretty tough comps given 2022's record profits as Russia's invasion of Ukraine sent energy prices soaring. Now, following the sector's declines, its P.E. ratio relative to the S&P is sitting around the lowest level in more than two decades. And Wall Street analysts are the most bullish on energy stocks out of any sector. Now, key themes to watch next year include international and offshore spending supporting the services names, as well as efficiencies driving upstream players to get more oil out of the ground for every dollar spent. And of course, more M&A could be on the table even after this year's $180 billion in deals. Frank, back on over to you. All right, Pippa, thank you very much. Uh, you all have some exposure in the sector. Jenny, let's start with you. Okay. So one of the things that Jason and I were talking about before the show was the Nasdaq's return. And Jason said, you know, how crazy is that? It's up so much, the you know, biggest year since 99. I said, yeah, but it was the worst year of the year before that. So when we talk about energy, like it's really hard to talk about it just in down 4.5% this year. We need to remember it was up 50 and 60% in the previous years. So I think where we are now is on a much more normalized, less distorted trajectory. And when we think about where to invest in energy going forward, you need to be really careful. And I don't think you should just buy an energy ETF, and I'm not really sure the majors are the right ones. You need to sort through. So what we're doing is we're sticking with our midstream plays. And I actually had a great year in them this year. So we've got like energy transfer, energy partners, um, sorry, energy transfer, enterprise products, um, Kinder, Williams, One Oak. That's in the midstream space. Then in our international strategy, we have Total and Shell, which are majors that trade at significant discounted valuations to their U.S. peers. We saw a ton of consolidation start to happen this year, too, where we saw Exxon by Pioneer. We saw Chevron try and buy Hess. We saw Occidental try to buy or buying Crown Rock. So there's a lot. But I think I think it's not a broad brush play because I think the dynamics have changed. And I don't think it's just like, oh, energy collectively was so wildly undervalued. So it shot up for two years and then it got a little overvalued. So it, pl- it plateaued this year. I think you do need to really start to sort through and pick off different companies. In our case, we're going to stay mostly in that midstream space, high dividend yield space. All right, so Jason, you own Chevron. You also own the XLE Energy ETF. So in your yep. mind, as we go to 2024, best way to play single stock, stock picker or ETF? So I think, I think it is actually single stock, right? So XLE is it's basically flat for the year. Uh, Chevron is, is, a mid-ma- is a major that we own. Uh, it's down 16%. Listen, the earnings haven't been great. You know, for me, the, the play with energy uh, is free cash flow and very strong balance sheets. That's why we like this space. Yes, the multiple has come down. Uh, to Jenny's point, I mean, the return over the last few years have been relative very strong uh, and very weak this year. I mean, tough comps, as Pippa mentioned, going into next year. Um, but our, our focus is, you know, and, and Jenny, you just mentioned some of the M&A activity. I think those that, that will be accretive to a lot of these major um, uh, major companies in the energy space. So I think um, you, you have to be discriminate, though. Okay. You know, this is not like a buy, buy, the, buy right. the ETF and kind of you got to sift and shift through. So, Jason, you're mentioning the multiples come down. Siege, I'm going to come over to you. Does that make the energy space more attractive, even with some of the issues with oil? Yes, and I think the setup's exactly as we saw going into 22. It was a laggard, tremendous outflows, not many buying, although it sounds like there's some analyst interest right now. These companies continue to do more with less, and higher oil prices will pose challenges to some other areas of the market because higher energy prices drives higher uh, CPE, and you end up, uh, you know, maybe having an issue with with rates. So having energy in a portfolio from a valuation and tail risk standpoint makes some sense. 
We own ConocoPhillips, EOG, Suncor, Canadian Natural Resources, all trade at substantial discounts. They're all well-run businesses. They play, pay great dividends. And I think if you're looking for a laggard that may play catch-up in 24, this is a great place to be sniffing around. And again, selectively, just like the other guys are talking about. All right, coming up here on half, one of this year's stock market darlings that rallied 140%. Josh Brown is breaking it down for you in trade school. That's coming up next on Halftime. Welcome back to Halftime. Trade school is in session. Josh Brown, you're breaking down this year's big moving crowd strike and the stock's set up from here. Yeah, I actually spoke with uh, the CEO, George Kurtz, last week. This turned out to be the third best performing stock in the NASDAQ 100 behind only Meta and NVIDIA. And I don't even think many other stocks were close. It went up almost 150% this year. And that's purely on fundamental growth. The thing about cybersecurity that I think everyone needs to understand, it is the guaranteed secular bull market of the next 10 years. It's not that these companies can't have softer quarters here and there. It's that the longer-term tailwind for anything to do with cybersecurity is virtually written and enshrined into law. There are now regulatory requirements for publicly traded companies to announce material breaches within four days. What constitutes a material breach? Well, I'll put it to you this way. I dare you not to report it. So that's the backdrop. And if we think AI is a big deal, and we think the continued migration to the cloud is a big deal. And all of these other exciting things like virtual reality and augmented reality and machine learning and every buzzword you could think of, you can't do any of it if you can't secure data and if your employees and customers can't access a network securely. You're wasting your time. So this is my favorite name in the group. I'm a long-term investor here, not trading it. I've been in the stock since 2020. Very nice to see it uh, go out this year at an all-time high. It's not even in the S&P 500 yet. So I think the story is still young. I think uh, the TAM here, uh, McKinsey says, could be $2 trillion in the coming years. Uh, just to put that into context, it's under $200 billion for 2023. So I want to be long cybersecurity for the remainder of the decade, and CrowdStrike is the way I want to play it. All right, Josh Brown with Trade School. Jason, you have a lot of cyber exposure as well. I know Palo Alto has been one of your longtime holdings. Yeah, 100%. And I agree with Josh here. The, the cybersecurity theme is not going to be disrupted at all. This is unfortunately a multi-year uh, problem. And, and Palo Alto has been the name for us. It's up 110% this year. A lot of government contract business. So we continue to like this space, and Palo Alto is our favorite. All right, there we go. Uh, stay with us. Final trades from the committee coming up right here on Halftime. We'll be right back. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. All right, we are back on Halftime. Time for final trades. Rob, you're up first with a new buy. Yes, we bought Ferrari about a week ago, symbol R-A-C-E, obviously one of the world's leading luxury brands with a profitability of a software company. 
Um, limited production supports their pricing power and competitive advantage. This is a company that trades at, you know, for, uh, profitability is four times that of a traditional automaker and two times that of the consumer discretionary sector. In addition, you have the benefit that there's a movie coming out soon <laughs> on the brand. There you go. Uh, Jason. AXP, T&E will continue to rise. I like it here. Jenny. Following my safe energy theme, Kinder Morgan, 6.5% yield, really significant cash flow. Um, can I say what I want my final say of the year to be, which is Bulls won this year. We owe them all an apology. Josh, you get the <laughs> final trade it. of this year. Uh, Amazon, I think it's going to surprise in 24. All right, we're going to leave it there. One quick look at the, the markets right now in the red across the board. The Nasdaq down almost a half a percent. That does it for Halftime Report. Happy New Year to everybody out there. Thank you for watching. The Exchange starts right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. We could try to explain what it feels like to get your work done on a John Deere. The way a Z-Track mower finishes in half the time you thought it would. Or how much easier it is to move mountains of soil with a 1-Series tractor. We could even go into detail about how it feels to tow up to 4,000 pounds behind a Gator XUV. But if you really want to know what it's like to run with us, you just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you.